Today on Abounding Grace from Pastor Ed Taylor. The Bible says he gives power to the weak and to those who have no mighty increases strength. And even the youth shall faint and be weary and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength and they shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary and they walk they shall walk and not faint, Isaiah 40, verses 29 through 31. Waiting is a place of strength. The in-between times, that time between the promise was given and the fulfillment of that promise, that in-between time is where God does his deepest work in our lives. This is amazing grace. This is The last year or so has been a real challenge for many of us, to put it mildly. We may wonder at times, could it get any worse? Today on Abounding Grace, we want to encourage you to look to the promises of God at times like this. Doing so will leave you greatly encouraged. But this does require some patience and endurance. We see an example of this in Abraham. And Pastor Ed Taylor takes us now to Hebrews chapter 6 for part 2 of Patiently Waiting on the Promises of God. We are saved for good works. This is not a theology of works. It's a theology of grace. That God is inside of us, working out His will in our lives. Notice in verse 10, I see another aspect here before we move on that's very encouraging to me personally. He says, God is not unjust to forget your work and your labor of love which you've shown toward his name and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. This is encouraging to me because it tells me that God hasn't forgotten the works that you have probably long since forgotten. Like the life that you live for the Lord, we can't possibly remember everything we've ever done for God. I mean, for example, what did you do on this day three years ago for God? You're like, man, I don't know. I don't know what I did last week for God. I'm just living my life. I'm just abiding in Christ and I'm loving my neighbor and I'm serving and I'm helping and I'm giving, whatever it might be. Like we're not keeping track of it. We're not keeping a journal of it. We're just living our Christian life. But I'm encouraged that even the things that I've forgotten, even the things that I don't remember, God has not forgotten. He hasn't forgotten what's happened in your life. Because so, so, you, you might come to me, and this happened when we were even in Israel talking to someone. They explained a situation to me and they could see on my face that I didn't remember it. I didn't remember it. And when I don't remember, I'll tell you, I don't remember. I'm sorry, I don't remember it because there's a lot going on in my life and a lot of people to serve and a lot of things happening and I don't remember everything. And it's okay that I admit that, but I'm encouraged that even when I don't remember, God remembers. He's faithful to not forget. And he, he ties it to justice. God is not unjust to forget your good works. The problem is, is that many times we attempt good works with the wrong motives. <laughs> and that's one thing in this room that I don't know for sure. I don't know the motives of your heart. I don't know what your motives are when you choose. I mean, let's be honest here. I don't even know my, the motives of my heart sometimes. 
I'm seeking and I want to think the best of myself, but I know, I know that my, the motives of my heart always, aren't always clean. God has to reveal my own heart to me and bring me to a place of repentance and say, no, Ed, don't do that. Don't do it that way. It's a great effort, but let's do it with the right motive. Let's do it with sincere love. And I say yes and amen whenever God reveals that to me. You see, Jesus put it this way. Let me read it to you in Matthew chapter 6. I want to read it to you from the New Living Translation because I love the way they put this. Listen to it. It's a fresh take. Jesus put it this way. Take care and don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired because then you'll lose the reward from your Father in heaven. Don't do good deeds so that people will admire you and look up to you and draw attention to you. No, he says, when you give a gift to someone in need, don't shout about it as the hypocrites do. Can you imagine that? Hey, everybody, look what I did this morning. I just want to let you know that. And you're actually shouting about all your good deeds. You're like, don't do it like that. That's hypocrisy. Because you're doing those works, what? In the name of Jesus Christ. You don't need to be shouting about them. Jesus saw it. He knows about it. He says, don't shout about it. Blowing the trumpets in the synagogues and the streets to call attention to their acts of charity. Now, that's something funny to me. Can you imagine if we all said, okay, bring your trumpets to church Sunday, and we're all going to blow our trumpets. You, you might have heard the, the phrase, to toot your own horn. It comes from this section. And here, I'll start out. I was able to give, and then you go, wait a minute, I got a bigger horn than that. And we're all blowing our horns and blowing our trumpets, what we've done for God. And God says, don't do that. That's so hypocritical. What are you doing? What are you doing? I thought that you did that because I impressed it upon you and you acted in obedience and you did this in my name. He says, don't you be like that. And he says instead, but when you give to someone, don't tell your left hand what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in secret and your father who knows all secrets will reward you. You know, that's something that we've truly attempted to adopt here in our church. So much flows through the life of this church in the realm of benevolence, so many other churches are blessed by this congregation. So many other pastors, missionaries, a lot of things go through. And on occasion, we aren't able to do it anonymously because uh, we'll have to write a check from the church or something. And we can't do it anonymously for the sake of accountability. And if I'm ever involved with something on that on a personal level, which sometimes I am, I'll always look the person in the eye and say this, hey, don't tell anybody where you got this from. Just give glory to God. Don't, don't say, you know, that it was a Calvary Chapel check or whatever. Don't, don't worry about that. Anybody asks, you just give all the glory to God because it's for God and it's from God and it's to God and how careful we need to be that the better things that accompany salvation, listen, one of the better things is there isn't one good deed here in this room among us, on the radio, among believers that God has forgotten. He hasn't forgotten. Even the things you've forgotten about God hasn't forgotten. And the promise is that you'll be rewarded openly. I love that. It's so encouraging to me. So much time is lost and wasted trying to make a name for ourselves and drawing attention to ourselves so others will see what good givers we are or whatever it might be. But God sees it all, and it's to him. Now, let me just say for a moment, some have taken this text and used the text in a way to say that we shouldn't express appreciation to anyone or they might lose their reward. I don't think Jesus is saying anything like that. I think the Bible is rich in appreciation and encouraging appreciation. It is a good thing. You know, it really is encouraging to someone when you say thank you to them 
Oh, I know it's from the Lord, but God used them and you can say thank you. I think we should be generous in our appreciation. We should be able to say thank you for whatever it might be or I appreciate it or you really helped me and together you give glory to God. We shouldn't withhold appreciation trying to fulfill this because Jesus isn't talking about that at all. I think as believers, we should be the most generous in giving appreciation to people and thanking them for the faithfulness that they've been living and just give them the kind of fuel to go another day and to serve another day. I love this. God doesn't forget. Now, let's move on in verse 11 now. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but you imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And now he gives an example. For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, verse 14, surely blessing I will bless you and multiplying I will multiply you. And so after he, Abraham, had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. So in the life of relationship that Abraham had, he was saved by faith, just like you and I are. He was saved by faith. The Bible says that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And so he was saved, but his faith led to action. And God used Abraham in a wonderful way. And God gave Abraham a promise. And that promise was in his old age, he would have a child, and that child would be the, Abraham would be the father of many nations. And God gave him that promise. And as God gave him that promise, Abraham became a man that was greatly looked up to. As men would, as the Jews would look back on Abraham, he was highly esteemed. Most people thought, most people were taught that Abraham perfectly obeyed the law of God. Imagine that. Let me read to you a, a, a note that was written in 200 BC in the book of Jubilees. And I'll quote it. It says, For Abraham was perfect in all of his deeds with the Lord and well-pleasing in righteousness all the days of his life. End quote. According to the Mishnah and the Jewish traditions and writings of the day, People believe that Abraham was so perfect that he never had to repent of anything. So perfect. Now that's funny to me. Abraham, perfect, never sinned. Is that true? Well, how about let's interview Sarah. How about we ask his wife? Hey, how, is, how perfect was your husband? Well, let me tell you a few episodes that are written in the Bible of how Abraham sold me out. Yeah, we know about those. I would consider those great failures. We could interview Ishmael. And Hagar, and what he did to Hagar, taking advantage of her. Abraham was not a perfect man, and yet his faith accounted him to righteousness. The same way it does with you. You're not a perfect man or woman. We don't need to interview the people around you. You readily admit you're not perfect. And yet when you believe, it's accounted to you for righteousness. By the blood of Jesus Christ. It's an amazing exchange. See, Abraham is given now as an example of persevering faith. Because here's the thing as we close. When a promise comes, there's often a space between when the promise comes and when it's fulfilled. We often refer to that as waiting on the Lord. So can I ask you a question? Have you ever waited on God for an answer to prayer? Anybody here? And you guys listening on the radio, you can raise your hand, but get it back on the wheel real fast. Of course we have. Even for those of you that didn't raise your hand, you know that you've waited on God, that you've asked for something or you received a promise for God and it hasn't come to pass. I mean, I look back in the entirety of my life as a believer and there have been many, many things 
that I've asked for God and waited for an answer and sometimes I haven't been happy with the answer. The answer from God actually stumbled me and not because God stumbled me, but because my own flesh did. It challenged my faith. Anyone that has ever waited on God has learned that their faith has been challenged. I think one of the issues, one of the issues that the Hebrews are dealing with is doubting God. That's why they're wanting to run all over the place for some sense of of comfort, some sense of stability. They are even willing to leave Jesus Christ and go back to religion and the comforts of religious activity to feel secure when all the while God has given them his best. He's given us his best in Jesus Christ. Whenever we're in a place of waiting, our faith is under attack. Because it's easy, let's be honest, it's easy to believe God and trust God when everything's going the way that we want it to go. When everything seems to be going the way that we expected. When things are lining up. And yet, like the Hebrews, when we're challenged and God gives us a promise. I mean, I look at my own life. God has given me a promise. And for six years now, I've been waiting for that promise to be fulfilled. I mean, six years is a long time to wait. And I don't know when it's going to end. And yet God continues to strengthen me as even my own mind will undermine my faith. And I'll doubt God and I'll wonder what's going on. And I'll come to him in prayer with all my cares like the Bible says. And I cast all my cares upon him. He receives our prayers. And he comforts us as as our kids. You know, there have been times when my kids would come to me with some hurt or some pain and I don't have the answer for them. I don't know what's going on. I just come alongside of them and comfort and encourage them. I can't solve their problem for them. It's something that they're going to have to grow through. And many times as kids of the Father, God has allowed these situations into our lives so that our faith would grow. And as you wait, it feels like you're becoming weaker, but the Bible actually says you're becoming stronger. That's what it says in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 29. The Bible says he gives power to the weak and to those who have no mighty increases strength. And even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength, and they shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they walk, they shall walk and not faint. Isaiah 40, verses 29 through 31. Waiting is a place of strength. The in-between times, that time between the promise was given and the fulfillment of that promise, that in-between time is where God does his deepest work in our lives. So what about Abraham? He was given the promised son. How long did he wait? For you Bible students, you know, 25 years he waited. And he was already already an older man when he was given this promise of, of seeing a child conceived. He was already an older man, very old. And he waited another 25 years. And don't you think, along the way, each year, successive year, it seemed more impossible than when the first of the promise came. As they know their own bodies, as they see it, man, it's just, this isn't going to happen. That's the whole reason why the situation with Hagar and Ishmael happened. They became impatient. And they only looked at the circumstances. And they only looked at the way their bodies were. And they only looked at their own resources. And they only looked at their own limitations. And they tried to figure it out. They tried to make God's will happen. And unfortunately, it caused great strain and grief to their lives that the Jewish people are still suffering from today as I speak. What about David? Another man that waited on God. David, he was anointed the next king of Israel by God. 
He, he was a young man anointed. The problem was, is that there was already a king on the throne. His name, Saul. And Saul was a very insecure man. And he was threatened by hearing another man was anointed king. And he chose to go after David and try to kill him on multiple occasions. Chased him all over the desert. Chased him, caused him to, to, be, to be in a place of running with all these men following him. And you know, David was given opportunity after opportunity to take things into his own hands. He could have taken Saul out. He could have eliminated his problem. He was even given the opportunity in a cave. And this is another place that we stop on our tour. We come to a place of En Gedi and we hike from the parking lot all the way up into this place where there's a waterfall and the temperature changes dramatic when you get back into the alcoves there. And you can see why he would hang out, as the Bible says, in En Gedi. And while he was in that area, Saul was relieving himself, the Bible says, in a cave. And David was there and they whispered to him, now's your chance, take him out. And instead he, caught, he cut a little piece of his robe off and he came out and says, I want you to see, Saul, I could have done it, but I chose not to, hoping to see peace. But he didn't experience peace, it just got worse. Saul never let up. And yet David chose to trust God while he waited. It was no little waiting, it was no soft thing. It was very hard, very difficult, and the choice after the choice after the choice in David's life was not to take things into his own hands, but to trust God. If God said he would be the next king, then he would be the next king. And that's the thing. God gives the promise, but he doesn't give the timetable. <laughs> so we hate that. I don't know about you, but I hate that. The timetable. For the Hebrews, the promise was Jesus will return, but he hadn't come yet. And it caused all this stuff in them. And that's why the book of Hebrews was written. Listen, church, it's important that we learn, like, like verse 15, that we patiently endure. And this is, if you'd like to write in your Bibles, you can circle work, the word, the phrase, patiently endured. Draw a line back to verse 12 and circle the word sluggish because these are two opposite responses. Because while you're waiting on the Lord, you could become lazy. Now, I don't know many people, there hasn't been many people in my life, I'm not going to say none, but there hasn't been many people that admit to being lazy. So you're just a lazy person. The first response, I'm not lazy. And you start looking at all the things you do. But this isn't a practical laziness. This is a spiritual laziness. And the reason why the condition of the church and the world is the way it is today is because many believers are just lazy. And you know with laziness, we all choose to do what we want to do. We always make time for what we want to do. And that warning here is don't become lazy, but have the same diligence of full assurance and like Abraham, patiently endure until you receive the promise. I know God hasn't given you the timetable, but he's given you the promise. And God is the great promise giver and the only perfect promise keeper. And he keeps all of his promises. And when things are outside of our control, when things look bad, when things feel bad, when things seem bad, listen, when things are bad, we must learn to hold on to the promises of God, to memorize them, to repeat them. We'll get to this in our next study, but jump down to verse 18. Really, let's read the whole sentence in verse 17. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise, by the immutability of his counsel, 
confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it's impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope that's set before us. Let me read it to you in a more modern translation. So beautiful, so encouraging. It says, so God has given us both his promise and his oath. And these two things are unchangeable because it's impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can take new courage for we can hold on to his promise with confidence. Listen, this confidence is like a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. And it leads us through the curtain of heaven into God's inner sanctuary. God can't lie. And so his oath and his promise stand true. So hide God's word in your heart. Hold on to the promises of God. They'll encourage you. They'll strengthen you. They'll remind you of God's overriding sovereign purposes in your life when things get tough. And let Abraham's testimony be your testimony and mine, that he waited patiently. He waited patiently, or it says he patiently endured, and he received what God had promised. Isn't that so good? His promise and his oath. God is faithful, even to those of you waiting today, the in-between time. It may not feel like it. You may not even want to acknowledge it, but God is faithful. Even when we are faithless, God remains faithful. This is Abounding Grace with our Bible teacher and pastor, Ed Taylor. To give this a second listen, just go online to AboundingGraceRadio.com or listen through the Calvary Church app. You can search for Ed Taylor to download that today. Pastor Ed is back with me now, and Ed, as Americans, we're not so good at waiting, are we? Whether on the freeway or in line at a fast food restaurant, we often grow impatient. And today, you encouraged us to patiently endure as we wait on the Lord. Any final thoughts about that in light of all that we've been through this past year or so? Well, I think, Larry, we have learned a lot on waiting this last year, both in a positive way where we've learned to wait and patiently endure. And we've probably learned a few ways where we're still impatient and we still want things to hurry up and get along with our program. But we're learning that God's timing is always perfect. He's never early. He's never late. God is always on time. And we're wise. And I think that we're walking in the greatest wisdom possible when we trust God with his timing for our life. Timing on that job, timing with that prodigal, timing with singleness, timing with uh, being raised up in ministry. Just the timing of the Lord is so important. We don't want to get ahead of him and find ourselves in a place uh, on our own, in our own wisdom, in our own flesh, and we don't want to lag behind him, uh, just being lazy and apathetic, but we want to be right in the center of God's will. And when I think about this previous year, you know, it's been hard, and I believe that the difficulties of this previous year can only serve to help us depend upon the Lord in greater ways and trust Him no matter what comes our way. God is greater than the politicians. God is greater than the president. God is greater than the law. God is greater than anyone that's making decisions that affect your life. We can trust God no matter what comes our way, and it's in His perfect timing that He accomplishes. As my pastor used to say, He accomplishes everything in His times, what the Bible says. Pastor Jeff would tell us that all the time, and it's true, and we've lived it out. 
And may we continue to live day by day abiding in Jesus Christ. Thanks again, Pastor Ed. We know we should study the Bible, but many Christians aren't sure how to go about it, or they find it less than enjoyable. Well, we picked out a resource that can help. It's from Skip Heitzig, and the book is aptly titled, How to Study the Bible and Enjoy It. As the title would suggest, Pastor Skip will inspire you to enjoy studying the Bible as God intends and discover its power and relevance to your life. And we'll gladly send you a copy for a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. Thank you for remembering us in your prayers and giving to the Lord. Your gift, whatever the size, will serve to help us reach thousands with the message of Christ. Reach us toll-free at 877-30-GRACE. Again, 877-30-GRACE. If you'd just like to make a donation and not interested in the pick of the month, you can just go online to AboundingGraceRadio.com. Connect with us through social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. There's a link to each page at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Well, we've got another study in Hebrews to look forward to tomorrow on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. May God richly bless you with His abounding grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado.